Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. You're listening to the Sira podcast from Qalam Institute. Before we get started on the podcast today, I had a very special message to share with everyone. If you've been listening to the Sira podcast, learning the life of the Prophet wasallam, and hopefully benefiting along the way as well, the next step in your journey of not only getting to know the Prophet wasallam, not only learning about how he lived his life, but also learning to live your life more like Him. The next step in that journey is to completely and totally immerse yourself into the life of the Prophet ﷺ. And there, in that environment, learn His life. That is what we call the Sirah Intensive. Where for 10 days, we ask people to come out on to Dallas, Texas, uh, come down here, spend 10 days with us, where we pray together, we eat together, we stay in the same place together, we learn together, we discuss things together, and we laugh and we cry together, honestly. And we not only feel like we get to know the Prophet ﷺ, you feel like you have really fallen in love with the Prophet ﷺ, and by the time you leave, you have a better sense of how the Prophet ﷺ lived his life, and you're inspired to at least attempt to do so. And by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you meet some really cool people along the way and make some really awesome friends as well. So that's that experience is what we call the Sira Intensive. So Sira Intensive is coming up this year again. So I want everyone to head on over to SiraIntensive.com, check it out, sign up, come join us for a life-changing experience, and also recommend it to family and friends. Jazakumullahu khairan. Uh, thank you very much for continuing to listen to the podcast, share it on with others. And without further ado, let's get started with this week's session. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as-sirat al-nabawiyya, the prophetic biography. Uh, as I mentioned in the last couple of sessions as well, uh, the previous session most notably, that the period of life of the Prophet ﷺ that we are studying is in the ninth year of Hijrah. The ninth year of the Prophet ﷺ's residence in the city of Medina. Now, one of the things that I've explained previously, and hopefully it's something that is evident, uh, but nevertheless, I wanted to just kind of, um, I wanted to emphasize this point and elaborate on it very briefly. And that is that when we study the life of the Prophet ﷺ, the, the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ is a very fascinating thing to study a very fascinating subject for many, many reasons, a multitude of reasons, obviously. But one of the things that I find quite remarkable and fascinating about the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ is that it can be studied in two ways. And what I mean by that is, the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ can be studied as a part of an ongoing study. And it can, every single lesson or every single chapter is a piece of the puzzle. So the seerah of the Prophet can be studied all together as a, as, a, as a bigger puzzle that you're putting together with each particular incident, story, narration. But the life in the seerah of the Prophet is also profoundly beneficial because you can, one can also study each particular incident, event, narration, and as a lesson in and of itself. Each thing can be benefited from individually. 
So for instance, what we're going to study today, we're going to, inshallah, the, uh, the, at least the intention or the attempt is to touch on two particular stories or two events. The Prophet's interaction with the delegation from Najran. And secondly, is to study when a man named Dimam visits the Prophet ﷺ in Medina, what ends up happening. Now these two stories can be studied as we will do them today as a standalone lesson. And you will find benefit in it and you will be able to take lessons from it and it will be something that will be more immediately beneficial to you. However, at the same time, it's part of the bigger puzzle, that ongoing nar narrative of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. So the seerah can be studied in both these ways, in terms of methodology. And my attempt, uh, very you know, uh, humbly, but my attempt usually is to try to achieve some level of both of those objectives. That... You, this, the, each particular lesson or session that we have, how does it plug into the overall scope of the seerah? But at the same time, each particular session or lesson, how can it be beneficial to a person who is, has not attended any class previously? and might not be able to attend any other class going forward. This is the only time they were able to attend the class. How can it still be beneficial for them? So the objective are, is twofold, if you will. So I just wanted to kind of elaborate on that very briefly. So we're studying from the ninth year of Hijrah. The ninth year of Hijrah, the ninth year of the life, uh, the residence of the Prophet ﷺ in Medina, the second last year of his life, was dominated by the theme of different tribes and delegations coming to Medina, accepting Islam, becoming Muslim, and taking that Islam back to their homes, to their tribes, to their regions. And <clears throat> Islam continued to spread from there, which eventually concluded within, or it rather resulted in, all of the Arabian Peninsula coming into the fold of Islam. All right, And so we, in the last few sessions, we've looked at some of the specific delegations and tribes that came and became Muslim. And we always highlight a few lessons that we learn from that particular interaction that they had with the Prophet ﷺ. Today we're going to be studying, like I mentioned, two interactions. The first is with the people of Najran. Now... Aside from just a little bit of the interaction that we talked about in the previous session, which was with the tribe of Banu Hanifa, all right, all the different interactions that we're going to study about here were positive interactions. Someone came to either embrace Islam, they came with the clear intention to become Muslim, or they came to Medina very open to the idea of becoming Muslim. And these were largely positive interactions. In the, in the previous session, we talked about the tribe Banu Hanifa, which was a positive interaction. There was just a negative individual in that tribe that became kind of a situation. <clears throat> However, the tribe of Najran, the people of Najran, this was a complicated interaction. 
It was a very complicated interaction. And what I'd like to highlight here today is that there's a number of different narrations. Some of them are more short and abbreviated, like the narration in Bukhari, but Ibn Ishaq, Imam Bayhaqi, some of the more detailed scholars of the Sirah, they have provided more detailed accounts. And I'll go through a little bit more of a detailed account. Imam Bayhaqi mentions that the Prophet ﷺ, he, a Sahabi by the name of Yunus, who himself used to be a Christian and he became a Muslim, he narrates that the Prophet wrote a letter to the people of Najran. They were Christian people. And so he wrote them a letter and he says this was before the revelation of Surah An-Naml. So to give you kind of an idea of the timeline, it was more mid-Medinan period. It was maybe about two years prior to this. The Prophet had written a letter to them. In the letter, he addressed the people of Najran. And it said that, بِإِسْمِ إِلَهِ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَعْقُوبَ That I began in the name of the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he named specifically the prophets that the Christians identify with. And then he said, Min Muhammadin Nabi Rasulillahi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this message is from Muhammad, the Prophet and the Messenger of God. He goes on to say that Ila Usquf Najran wa Ahli Najran. I write this letter to the bishops of Najran the priests, the Christian priests of Najran and the people of Najran. وَإِنْ أَسْلَمْتُمْ فَإِنِّي أَحْمَدُ إِلَيْكُمْ إِلَهَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ وَإِسْحَاقَ وَيَعْقُوبَ He says, if you accept this message, then I present to you the praise, meaning I, uh, I, I pray to Allah, the, the Lord of all these prophets, for you. أَمَّا بَعْدُ فَإِنِّي أَدْعُوكُمْ إِلَىٰ عِبَادِ اللَّهِ مِنْ عِبَادَةِ الْعِبَادِ He says, I call you to the worship of God away from the worship of other creation. And he specifically is talking about how the Christian people had deified Isa a.s. Jesus by calling him the son of God, by referring him as one of the parts of God. So he specifically is talking about this. وَأَدْعُوكُمْ إِلَىٰ وِلَايَةِ اللَّهِ مِنْ وِلَايَةِ الْعِبَادِ And I call you to dedicate yourself to God, and I call you away from dedicating yourself to other creation, serving other creation. He goes on to say, فَإِنْ أَبَيْتُمْ If you do not accept these terms, that's fine, but understand that Islam is spreading and the area that you live in is about to come into the fold of Islam. And then you are allowed to keep your religion, but to live within the Islamic territories and to receive the protection and the services that all citizens of the Islamic nation receive, you will have to pay a tax. And there's no different than how we pay our government taxes. فَإِنْ أَبَيْتُمْ آذَنْتُكُمْ بِحَرْبٍ but if you refuse to pay the tax, then understand that that is an act of aggression and we will have to take action accordingly. And that again is totally understandable. If a group of people gathered together and basically said, we refuse to follow the laws of the country that we live in, that is essentially an act of dissension. Not just an act of dissension, it's an act of rebellion. It's an act of revolution. 
And so then obviously military action is taken. It's a very logical statement. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, Wassalam. And he concluded with peace. When this letter arrived to the priests of Najran, literally the narration says, They freaked out. They panicked. What are we going to do? They felt like the situation was going to become very drastic. So they called for an individual. His name was Shurahbil. This man, Shurahbil, was considered to be kind of a, uh, he was a leader of the people of Najran. He was a very, very eloquent, a very politically savvy, uh, and a very trusted leader of the people. He had the trust and the faith of his people. So they called for him, and they asked him, and it, and it says, وَلَمْ يَكُنْ أَحَدٌ يُدْعَى إِذَا نَزَلَتْ مُعْضِلَةً قَبْلَهُ That whenever any situation came, he was always the first person they called on. Because he was kind of seen as a political and social leader of his people. So they called for him, and they gave him the letter. Shurahbid read the letter, and then the priests asked him, his kunniya was Abu Maryam. They said, Ya Abu Maryam, ma ra'yuk? What do you think we should do about this situation? Shurahbil, he responds, he says, Qad alimta ma wa'adallahu Ibrahima fi dhurriyati Ismaila min al-nubuwa. He says, if you guys are honest about scripture, then you know that, pro- that God had always destined to send eventually a prophet through the lineage of Ibrahim by way of Ismail. You know that a prophet was eventually going to come. فَمَا يُؤْمَنْ أَنْ يَكُنَ هَذَا هُوَ ذَاكَ الرَّجُلُ How do you know this man is not that prophet that God had always destined to send? It could be him. And then he says, لَيْسَ لِي فِي النُّبُوَّةِ رَأْيٌ Look, I don't have any other definitive opinions about can he be a prophet? Can he not be a prophet? That is not what I am a specialist of. I am not a scholar of scripture. But I know enough scripture to tell you that you know that a prophet very well could come from these people. And this man could be that prophet. And he says, Was this some other political or social issue? I would give my opinion to you. وَجَهِدْتُ لَكَ And I would, I would try to figure it out for you. The priests, this was not the answer that they were, that they had hoped for. So they told him, تَنَحَ فَجْلِسْ They said, okay, that's enough from you, now have a seat. So then they called on someone else. Uh, the next person they called on was another person who was seen to be a leader of the people. His name was Abdullah. So they called on him. They had a similar conversation with him. They gave him the letter, they had a similar conversation with him, and he gave a very similar response to Shurahbil. One narration says he asked them, What did Shurahbil say? And they told him, and he said, Well, I agree with Shurahbil. I'm gonna agree with him. So they said, Tanaha Fajlis. They said, You also have a seat. We don't that's enough out of you. Then they called on the next person who was seen to be influential amongst the people. And his name uh, is narrated to be Jabbar ibn Fayd. They called on this man Jabbar. He was also a leader of the people. They called on him. They, asked, they gave him the letter. He read the letter. They asked him the same questions. 
He gave a very similar assessment of the situation as Shurahbil and Abdullah. And they once again told him, You also step aside now, that's enough, and have a seat. And now they all sat down. At this particular point, the priests, they said, we need to just have a town hall meeting. We need to call the whole tribe together. So they basically sounded, you know, the, the, they rang the bells, gathered the people together. When all the people gathered together, they gave some time and people gathered together from far and wide. And it is said that there were in the area of Najran, there were about 70 some odd small towns. And this amassed to about 100,000 people. They gathered the whole region together. After gathering the whole region together, they commenced kind of like a very public kind of like, you know, uh, meeting, if you will. And they presented, they read the letter to the people and they presented the letter. And then they said, if anyone has any opinions about what we should do, then please share. At that time, the narration, uh, the narration mentions that many of the leaders of these different towns, the 70 some odd leaders of the 70 some odd towns, they said that we see you have there on stage Shurahbil, Abdullah, and Jabbar. We always consult with them. We all trust them. What did they have to say? And so they're kind of forced on the spot to say that, to share, Shurahbil, Abdullah, and Jabbar feel that there could be validity to his claim and that the claim should not be summarily rejected. So the 70 some odd town leaders, the councilmen, they say, well, we feel like that's a very reasonable way to do it. So they finally decide, okay, let us send a delegation. Let us send a delegation. So they end up sending those same three people. Shurahbil, Abdullah, Jabbar. They send them to Medina to meet with the Prophet and further have some discussions and deliberations with the Prophet a dialogue. When they arrive in Medina, the narration has a very interesting detail. And like I said, you know, these are all fascinating in and of themselves because you kind of get to see the formation of the Ummah. It's our history. It's the life of the Prophet But I always, I told you that I always try to identify something specific within the narration. That is of a particular benefit. A take-home lesson, if you will. The take-home lesson in this is something really fascinating. So these three individuals, when they arrive, now think about it, these guys are essentially the head council of an entire region of people that are Christian, so they also have relations with the Roman Empire. Okay, they know the king of Ghassan, the Arab Christians, the people of Bilad al-Sham, and all of these regions, right? And they're kind of the head council. So they're used to going and visiting the courts of kings and governors, and such lofty people of governance, right? Rulers and leaders. When they arrive in Medina, they basically follow protocol, what they know of everywhere else. First thing they do before they go in, they meet the Prophet ﷺ. They take some time. They basically took some time to get dressed and get ready. 
go to the court of the king. You don't walk in and what you were traveling in, particular traveling at that time, think about it. Right? So you don't go in like that. You get ready, you get dressed. And you must dress to the occasion. The setting, the place. And the occasion that they thought would be, they put on these very lavish garments and robes that were made of silk. And they were very long and flowing, dragging on the ground. Right? And then they put on a lot of jewelry. And particularly, you know, kind of the jewelry that men would wear at that time, the adornment was that they would wear rings. Okay, and they had gold rings, big gold rings, and they put those on. And that's how you went into the court of the king, right? To kind of present yourself. That was being presentable. So they get all ready like this. They, are, they come to visit with the Prophet ﷺ. They are brought in, they are introduced to the Prophet ﷺ. They greet the Prophet ﷺ, hello. And the Prophet ﷺ does not return their greeting. Now that is very shocking. It's shocking in any situation, right? Imagine you go to meet somebody and you're like, hello, and the person does not acknowledge your presence. That's shocking. For the Prophet ﷺ, it's particularly shocking. Because the Prophet ﷺ talked about ijabatus salam, the obligation of returning people's greetings. The Prophet ﷺ is the pinnacle of character. He used to greet people before they could greet him. So the Prophet ﷺ not even responding to their greeting is actually quite shocking. He didn't respond to their greeting. They sat down there. A couple of times they tried to maybe initiate some conversation. And the Prophet ﷺ remained quiet. And he himself did not initiate any conversation with them. They sit for some time. Then they finally, after a while, they excuse themselves, please excuse us, and they leave the gathering. It's kind of puzzling. Later on that day, some of the uh, Sahaba are basically, you know, just providing some hospitality to them, some food and things like that. And they kind of take them on, if you will, like a tour of Medina, kind of take them around Medina and show them Medina, they happen upon a group of Muslims, the Ansar who are sitting. And they're kind of telling them that, you know, these are the locals of Medina, the Ansar, they are our brothers, so on and so forth. And sitting amongst the Ansar are Uthman bin Affan, Abdurrahman bin Auf, and Ali bin Abi Talib. Right? So they are all sitting there amongst them. And they specifically knew Uthman and Abdurrahman bin Auf very, very well. And they knew Ali radiallahu anhu somewhat, they mostly knew Ali through his father Abu Talib. And the reason why they would know Uthman and Abdurrahman bin Auf and Ali's father Abu Talib was because they're the leaders of Najran and Uthman bin Affan, Abdurrahman bin Auf and Ali's father Abu Talib, they were, the, they were amongst the leadership of Quraysh. Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu's father Affan was a leader of Quraysh. Abdurrahman bin Auf, his family, they were leaders of Quraysh. And Abu Talib was the leader of Quraysh. So they knew each other that way. Because remember, all the tribes of Arabia would go and visit Mecca for, quote-unquote, the season of Hajj, before Islam even, right? So they recognized them. And they greeted them right away. Uh, Ya Abdurrahman, inna nabiyyakum kataba ilayna bi kitabin. 
Your Prophet sent us a letter inviting us to Islam. فَأَقْبَلْنَا مُجِيبِينَ لَهُ We came here responding to that letter. فَأَتَيْنَاهُ فَسَلَّمْنَا عَلَيْهِ فَلَمْ يَرُدَّ سَلَامَنَا وَتَصَدَّيْنَا لِكَلَامِهِ نَهَارًا طَوِيلًا فَأَعْيَانَا أَنْ يُكَلِّمَنَا فَمَنْ رَأْيُ مِنْكُمَا they said, we came to your messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa We said salam, he did not return our greetings. We sat there wanting to talk to him and he did not really engage us in any conversation. It made it very difficult. We spent all day there and now we don't know what to do. We find it very hard to go and try to talk to him again. We just hit a wall. What do we do? What do you advise? Atarawna an should we go back again tomorrow and reinitiate the conversation? And while they're asking them this question, and Uthman Abdurrahman bin Auf anhu haven't really given a response, they're kind of thinking about it like because they're thinking about it because this is so out of character for the Prophet. It's not normally how the Prophet was. We're going to see in the other narration, the Prophet somehow forthcoming and friendly and accommodating he actually was. So they're kind of puzzled by this themselves. They notice that Ali radiallahu anhu is there. And like I said, they knew Ali through his father, Abu Talib. So then they see Ali. So they said to, and, and uh, Abdurrahman bin Auf and Uthman bin Affan radiallahu ta'ala anhu, they turn to Ali. And they say to him, مَا تَرَى يَا أَبَا الْحَسَنَ فِي هَؤُلَاءِ الْقَوْمِ Oh Ali, do you have any opinion about what to do? What to advise these guys? Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, أَرَى أَنْ يَضَعُوا حُلَلَهُمْ هَذِهِ وَخَوَاتِمَهُمْ He says, I do actually have an opinion. Because they were still addressed in their formal garments and all their jewelry and all that stuff. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu sees it, and Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu knew the Prophet obviously very, very well, grew up in his home. And also the Prophet said, وَأَقَضَاهُمْ Ali. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu had a very profound, deep understanding of the prophetic philosophy and the manhaj, the methodology of the Prophet He had a very strong understanding of the philosophy and methodology of the Prophet so Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, I do have an opinion. I think that they should not, he asked them, did you wear this? When you went to go see the Prophet sallallahu and they say, yeah. He says, that's the first thing I advise. Don't wear this when you go tomorrow. These silk, long, flowing robes, these gold rings. And then there was a demeanor, right? They would, when they would go to the courts of the king, you know, when you kind of stand or you sit down, you kind of spread your robe out. And then when you sit, you deliberately sit like this, where you kind of display your rings, right? To let them know we are nobility. He says, don't wear all this when you go see the Prophet ﷺ. Don't do that. And then he tells them, وَيَلْبَسُوا ثِيَابَ سَفَرِهِمْ ثُمَّ يَعُدُوا إِلَيْهِ they, they, they said, well, the only other thing we have to wear are the clothes that we travel in. <laughs> You're not suggesting we wear that. Ali radiallahu ta'ala said, that's exactly what I'm suggesting. Wear those simple clothes. The Prophet doesn't care about these showy things. In fact, he detests it. This arrogance and boastfulness. He appreciates simplicity. The Prophet ﷺ said, simplicity is from faith. Simplicity 
is from faith. The Quran says, God does not love arrogant, boastful people. The Prophet severely condemned showing off in boastfulness. And he appreciated simplicity. Right? The Prophet ﷺ, people would come to visit him, he would serve them aswadain. He would serve them dates and water. That's who the Prophet ﷺ was. And so, Ali gives this advice. So the next day, they do exactly that. I mean, they're on a mission here. Might as well listen to the guy. He's the son-in-law of the Prophet so the next day they just wear their travel clothes, that's all they have, just wear their sweats, right? And they basically go visit the Prophet ﷺ, no rings, no robes, no... And they sit down and they greet the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ responds to their greeting, Ahlan wa sahlan, marhaban bikum, welcome, welcome friends, have a seat. And then, obviously, they're a little kind of surprised. And the Prophet ﷺ understands that they're probably extremely curious. You gave us such a cold, hard shoulder yesterday. And today, the red carpet's out. Ahlan wa sahlan, marhaban, marhaban. Right? So what's the deal? The Prophet ﷺ says, ba'athani bil I swear by Allah, I will explain myself to you. لَقَدْ أَتَوْنِي الْمَرَّةَ الْأُولَى the Prophet ﷺ said, when you came to me the first time yesterday, you brought shaitan with you. Material things, showing off, you know, kind of, you know, presenting wealth and prosperity and starting the conversation with influence of money. That conversation doesn't go in a positive direction. That's, that's a shaitani conversation. I'm not interested in that. That's not what I was sent for. That's not what I do. That's not my objective. That's letting me know that you and I are not even going to be speaking the same language. There's no point to us talking. Because you're here talking money. I'm here talking salvation. There's a big difference between the two. And then the Prophet ﷺ says, okay, what would you like to talk about? And they went back and forth and they discussed many things. Finally, they came to the, the question, they said, ما في Isa?" They said, here's a big issue. Politically, socially, strategically, logistically, we actually think a good move is to join you. And we are political kind of community leaders. But the thing is that we have a religious kind of hierarchy and institution. Our priests and bishops and things like that, they are very concerned about the religious side of things. So we need to know our people are Christian people. Nahnu Nasara. يَسُرُّنَا إِن كُنْتَ نَبِيًا أَن نَسْمَعَ مَا تَقُولُ فِي عِيسَى We would appreciate to hear your thoughts on Jesus. The Prophet ﷺ tells them that I would like to receive 
a response from God, from Allah, to answer you properly. Come and see me tomorrow. The Prophet ﷺ said, I will respond to you with revelation. I appreciate the question as you've presented it, and I would live, like to give you a very, very holistic, conclusive response, and that will be God will reply to you. So come see me tomorrow. The next morning, the Prophet ﷺ, before they can even like check on the response, the Prophet ﷺ sends for them. Go get them. Go fetch them. They're brought to the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet ﷺ recites to them, the uh, recites to them ayahs 59 through 61. 59, 60, and 61 from surah number 3, surah Ali Imran, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Inna mathala Isa indallahi kamathali Adam. The example of Jesus in the eyes of God is similar to the example of Adam. Meaning, he is the result of a miracle. He is still the creation of God. He is a prophet of God. He is still the creation of God. He is a slave of God. He is a prophet of God. And he is the manifestation of a divine miracle. We agree there is something miraculous about Jesus. Just like there was something miraculous about Adam. min turabin, thumma qala lahu kun fayakun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created him from clay, from dust, and he said, be, and he was. This is the truth from your Lord. So no longer remain in doubt. Do not be from those who remain drowning in doubt. After you have presented this clear knowledge to people, and they still dispute and argue with you, فَقُلْ Then tell them, announce to them, تَعَالَوْ Come, meet us. نَدْعُوا أَبْنَاءَنَا وَأَبْنَاءَكُمْ وَنِسَاءَنَا وَنِسَاءَكُمْ We will call our parents, our children, our women folk, your women folk, وَأَنفُسَنَا وَأَنفُسَكُمْ I will call our parents and your parents, our children, your children, our spouses and your spouses, I will come ourselves, you present yourselves, and then we challenge one another in debate, in dialogue. And ultimately, and if we are not able to reach a resolution, a meeting of the minds in the middle, we will depart from there saying, whoever of the two sides is lying. Because you see, in theology and creed, there is a right and a wrong. In creedal issues, in creed and theology, there is right and wrong. In many interpretive issues, it's not that clear-cut. There's not right or wrong. There can be many ways to interpret something. Like in fiqh, we talk about this all the time, in Islamic studies, in fiqh, right? There can be a number of correct opinions or issues. There is a narration that says the Prophet ﷺ, when he prayed, he placed his hands lower, near his navel. There's another narration that says the Prophet ﷺ placed his hands under his chest. Another narration that says the Prophet ﷺ placed his hands on his chest. On his chest, under his chest, lower. And all three are correct. All three are correct. There's not, it's not a right or wrong kind of issue. However, in creedal, theological, fundamental issues, aqidah issues, imani issues, there is a right and a wrong. 
One God is the right answer. More than one God is the wrong answer. Everybody understand? Very straightforward. Muhammad being the messenger of God is the correct answer. Rejecting the messengerhood and the prophet, the messengership, the prophethood of Muhammad is the wrong answer. All right? So there is right and wrong. So that's why, because if we come together and we have this theological discussion and dialogue and debate, and if we are not able to meet, we are not able to agree at the end of it, obviously somebody's right and somebody's wrong. And so we'll leave that gathering saying, having exhausted all of our efforts, whoever is wrong, may the curse of God be upon them. Because someone in this gathering is now lying. Someone in this gathering is now deluding themselves and lying to other people. And that's not okay. It's a matter of truth. So this is what the Qur'an presented. The Prophet, peace be upon him, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he presented these ayat to them. The next day, the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he came out of his home. And he was holding Hassan and Hussein radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. One narration says that they were still young. So the Prophet ﷺ was carrying both of them. He was carrying both of them, Hassan and Hussein, his grandchildren. And Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha was behind him. And the mothers of the believers, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ were alongside of him. And he basically brought the whole family up. Let's go. And the people who had basically come to discuss with the Prophet ﷺ, they got together and they said, okay, let's logically walk this through. Do we want... Because the Prophet kind of came out to say, look, I already have my family ready. We're ready to go. Now it's up to you. What do you want to do? You have heard what God instructed. They said, give us a moment to kind of figure it out. And they met together and they said, they said that, وَإِنِّي وَاللَّهِ أَرَى أَمْرًا ثَقِيلًا Shurahbil, who was kind of the leader amongst the three, he said, I feel like this is a really big moment. We need to very carefully think about what we're about to do. وَاللَّهِ لَإِنْ كَانَ هَذَا الرَّجُلْ مَلِكًا مُتَقَوِّيًا Sorry. He said that even if this man is just simply a king, مُقَبَّلًا one narration says, he's just a king, he's not a prophet, but he's a ruler, but he is obviously very beloved by his people. And if we challenge him like this, They say that, look, and that's why I had mentioned all the other delegations that came, they were very positive interactions. They became Muslim. They said that if we decide to face off against him and not agree, dispute what he's saying, and leave the arena proclaiming that the curse of God is upon those who lie, and he's not a prophet, he's just a king, he's a ruler, but beloved by his people. We will be the first delegation that disagreed with him like this. And we live very, very close. We don't live too far away. That politically is not a savvy move at all. And then they said, وَإِنْ كَانَ رَجُلُ نَبِيًّا مُرْسَلًا 
But for a moment, let's consider, if he is indeed a prophet, فَلَعَنَّهُ And we leave the gathering, the arena, saying, may the curse of God be upon the one who's a liar, and he's the true prophet of God. لا يبقى على وجه الأرض منا شعر ولا ذفر إلا هلك We will be obliterated off the face of the earth. God will wipe us off the face of the earth. Because we went head to head with the prophet and said, may the curse of God be upon a liar, with the prophet of God. That's not going to end well. So it still doesn't make sense. So finally, the other two, Shurah Bil says all this. So the other two say, so what are you suggesting then? What do we do? He says, you want to know honestly what I think we should do? What we told those priests that we should have done. And that is, let's negotiate an agreement with him. Let's not oppose him, let's not fight him, let's negotiate an agreement. So they said, okay. They go to the Prophet ﷺ and he says, what do you want to do? And the Prophet ﷺ, and one other thing I forgot to mention, Shurah Bil actually says, He says, from being here for just a few days, what I've already seen from him, he seems to be a very honorable, ethical man. So even if he's not a Prophet, in the off chance that he's not a Prophet, he still seems to be a very honest, ethical, very dignified person, noble person. So we can't go wrong. So they go to the Prophet ﷺ, and then Shurah Bil says to the Prophet ﷺ that I, we do not want to do that mula'ana, we do not want to do that dialogue and challenge and face-off against you. We don't want to have a debate with you. We have a better idea. The Prophet ﷺ says, what's that? He says, you tell us what the terms are to establish peace with you. We can't say that our whole tribe will become Muslim. We can't say guarantee that. But what will it take to establish peace? The Prophet ﷺ says, okay. He says that the Prophet ﷺ first asked him a question. Well, if you negotiate peace with me, how do I know that when you go back to your tribe, your tribe will reject the peace deal, the peace offering? Shurah Bil says, ask my two companions what my position amongst my people is. And both of them basically say that he is someone that nobody disagrees with. They will accept his recommendation at the end of the day. The Prophet ﷺ gives them the terms. The terms are, you go back, you'll be part of the territory of Muslims, you receive all the protections, all the services, everything that we provide to our own citizenry, you will receive it, and this is the tax that you'll pay in exchange for that. And it was basically food. It was from the crop that they grew so that we can feed more people with it. It'll go into Baytul Mali and feed poor masakin fuqara. Alright? So they said, okay. And the Prophet ﷺ wrote, uh, dictated a letter to send along with them. Muhammad al-Nabi Rasulullah هذا ما كتب محمد النبي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لنجران أن كان عليهم حكمه في كل ثمرة then it basically laid out the terms that these are the payments that you need to make now these representatives they take this letter and this newly struck peace deal with the Muslims they take it back to Najran when they get back to Najran the priests of Najran the religious kind of hierarchy wants to meet with them and what happened they present the letter and the priests are very very upset how could you do this you just gave in to him etc etc they say look this was the only deal that could have been made finally 
they agree to these particular terms and they basically fall in line in regards to that and they basically start making this tax, tax payment to Medina. However, some of the narrations do mention that individuals from Najran did start to come to Medina and become Muslim individually. So the whole tribe of Najran did not all at once at this moment to enter into the fold of Islam, but individuals started embracing Islam. And there's a mention of a few different individuals. It actually has another very fascinating narration where one of the most senior monks and priests of Najran, whose name was Layth ibn Abi Shamr al-Zabidi, and he was the head of the monastery in Najran, when he received the news, he was very intrigued by it. And he said, I must go and meet this man. And he came to Medina and he met with the Prophet ﷺ. And when the Prophet ﷺ met with him, he stayed there. The narration says, He stayed for a while with the Prophet ﷺ. He wanted to hear revelation. And he heard a lot of revelation. Then he went back to his people. But the narration interestingly says, But he never became Muslim. And ultimately it does mention that the Prophet ﷺ later on he did send another letter to the people of Najran, specifically to the priests of Najran. He sent them a letter and he basically advised them to give up this وَلَا يُغَيَّرُ حَقٌ مِّنْ حُقُوقِهِمْ وَلَا سُلْطَانِهِمْ وَلَا مِمَّا كَانُوا عَلَيْهِ He said the only thing that y'all are afraid of is, is losing your authority. And do not worry, my objective is to not take your governance, your ability to govern yourselves away from you, but do not prevent your people from embracing the faith and from finding the truth. And the narrations, ultimately the books of history mentioned that the people of Najran did eventually enter the fold of Islam, but that was after the passing of the Prophet So... To kind of summarize, this is one of the more 